Slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after its original air date. Today we have to start um, with some Buffy related news, and um, yeah, I'm going to light a candle for all of our sanity. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not excited that, you know, 45 was just acquitted and all that stuff. I don't even know when that happened. Was it today? I don't know. <laughs> um, but I'm not going to talk about that. Um, I thought I was going to be talking to you guys about, like, the sort of, like, emotional thing that I've been dealing with this week is um, finding out that one of my huge childhood crushes and an important celebrity in my life, Marilyn Manson, is an awful person. I thought that I would be discussing that with you guys tonight, and who knows, maybe I still will. Um, but yesterday, I saw the news, and I don't normally, like, apologies to you guys, like, I know other Buffy podcasts are better about, like, actually telling you guys, like, about Buffy-related news and stuff like that, and I don't really, like, keep up with all of that, um, but I did find out about the current Joss Whedon news, um, so we had already kind of known that he was an asshole, um, his ex-wife had written a letter, kind of. I mean, I guess letters is not the right word for, for terms these days, but she kind of wrote a little expose on him and posted it, I don't know, Twitter, somewhere. And um, just to kind of say that he, not outing who it was, but he said that, um, she said that Joss had had a an affair with one of the actresses on Buffy, one of the young actresses on Buffy. And she also said some other things about, you know, like, he's not the man that you think he is. And so we already kind of knew that he wasn't like the nicest person in the world. Um, and that really left a sour taste in my mouth, but I am actually going to read for you and it's a little bit long. So forgive me for this. I know some people aren't going to want to be engaged in this, but I think it's important to talk about, um, to talk about, yeah, things. I think it's important to acknowledge, and I like to have the conversation about like separating art from artists. Like, obviously I'm not going to stop talking about Buffy. Obviously I'm not going to stop watching Buffy. I'm not going to stop loving Buffy, but it's, I'm really glad that the conversation surrounding the creators of art is getting more nuanced. Um, I think it's still sometimes a little too binary, um, but I think that's necessary for the fact that, like, for so long, we've just sort of let men and power do whatever the fuck they want. 
and I'm so grateful to the Me Too movement that that is not the case anymore. That, you know, people everywhere are speaking out against men that have treated them badly. And, you know, good men are stepping up alongside these women and other minorities and other marginalized people and doing the right thing. And anyway, I think it's it's an important conversation. I think the Me Too movement is a really important thing that's happening. Um, I do sort of think like there, there's also the aspect of it that is like cancel culture, but I think the majority of people that are getting taken down are people that are getting taken down for good reasons. And like, there's, there's always going to be people that are going to exploit a current movement for their own purposes. And there's always going to be, there's going to be right and wrong in any, within any movement, within any group of people, you know, like there's, there's definitely like a tendency to say that someone is 100% evil if they did something kind of wrong when it comes to the internet. But you know, it's just, it's reactionary. And like, we need to realize that like people having reactionary emotions, like one of the things that I think about sometimes is like, um, when you watch RuPaul Untucked and you see these drag queens just like screaming at each other and saying awful things to each other. And then the next day they're best friends. And it, I clicked for me one day that it was like, okay, you know, these are marginalized people. A lot of the drag queens that are on RuPaul's Drag Race, you know, are gay, effeminate, people of color that grew up in a society, like especially some of the older drag queens, some of the older seasons of RuPaul's Drag Race, grew up in a society that did not accept them at all. Some of them were like out on the streets when they were teenagers and like have had to fend for themselves. And a lot of the time when you see people online that are getting really, really upset about like something small, I'm not talking about like this Joss Whedon thing or, or the Marilyn Manson thing, like those are like really big, awful things, totally awful men in power, but like people that like might overreact about something much smaller and you see them just really taking someone apart because they misspoke. Um, and then when they apologize, it's not good enough for them. And it's, it totally makes sense to me that marginalized people are going to, they're going to get super defensive. They have been, you know, put down their whole lives. And anyway, I didn't know I was going to be talking about that, but like the whole cancel culture thing is like, it's such a big conversation. And I don't think that is even playing into like what I'm talking about tonight, but it's just, I know some people will say that this Joss Whedon thing is a part of cancel culture or whatever, whatever, but I really don't think so. I think that people 
are finally feeling like their voice will be heard. So people are speaking up. People are speaking up all over the place about all kinds of people. And I hope that it continues. You know, like it's heartbreaking to just like find out that like all these people that you admire have been terrible, but it needs to happen. All this stuff needs to come to light. The silence needs to be broken because people can start to heal if they feel like they will be validated and listened to. And like these, I recently read, it was like volume two of Hollywood Babylon. Um, if you don't know what that is, it's like, it's like this like tabloid style book about like Hollywood and like all the crazy stuff that happens in Hollywood in the first like volume one, I don't know when it was written, but volume two came out in the early 2000s. And I just read that one. I've never read the first one. So I don't know why I started with the second one. Like I've heard a lot about it. Like it's a legendary book exposing celebrities for all the things, all the bad things that they've done and blah, blah, blah. And it was horrifying. It was horrifying. The things that were in that book. And, um, the culture of Hollywood in general, like it's, it's a, what is it called? A microcosm of the world, you know, like women getting treated terribly and just kind of putting up with it and lying to themselves about lying to themselves and everyone else about how bad it is. And then suddenly years later, realizing how bad it is. I mean, that that stuff is going to continue. If the Me Too movement continues, and I hope that it does, these stories are going to continue. And the way that society handles it and moves on from it is going to be very telling. Um, and anyway, <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to read for you what happened this was a few days ago i think wednesday charisma carpenter who played cordelia she came out with this um it's like a two-page long thing and i am going to read the whole thing just because i want you guys to know exactly the situation because i hate it when podcasts will like bring up you know the thing with joss whedon that we all know like no not everybody knows like i usually don't know this shit. so yes i am going to read it for nearly two decades, I have held my tongue and even made excuses for certain events that traumatized me to this day. Joss Whedon abused his power on numerous occasions while working together on the sets of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel. While he found his misconduct amusing, it only served to intensify my performance, anxiety, disempower me, and alienate me from my peers. The disturbing incidents triggered a chronic physical condition from which I still suffer. It is with a beating heavy heart that I say I coped in isolation and at times destructively. Last summer, when Ray Fisher publicly accused Joss of abusive and unprofessional behavior toward the cast and crew during Reese shoots on the Justice League set in 2017, it gutted me. Joss has a history of being casually cruel. He has created hostile and toxic work environments since his early career. I know because I experienced it firsthand, repeatedly. Like his ongoing passive-aggressive threats to fire me, which wreaks havoc on a young actor's self-esteem, and callously calling me fat to colleagues when I was four months pregnant, weighing 126 pounds. Can you imagine someone fucking calling you fat if you're 126 pounds? 
I would look emaciated if I was that thin. <laughs> like, maybe not on screen, but in person. He was mean and biting, disparaging about others openly, and often played favorites, pitting people against one another to compete and vie for his attention and approval. He called me in for a sit-down meeting to interrogate me and berate me regarding a rosary tattoo I got to help me feel more spiritually grounded in an, in an increasingly volatile work climate that affected me physically. Joss intentionally refused multiple calls from my agents, making it impossible to connect with him to tell him the news that I was pregnant. Finally, once Joss was apprised of the situation, he requested a meeting with me. In that closed-door meeting, he asked me if I was going to keep it and manipulatively weaponized my womanhood and faith against me. He proceeded to attack my character, mock my religious beliefs, accuse me of sabotaging the show, and then unceremoniously fired me the following season once I gave birth. And I knew about that situation too. That was not all of those details, but I knew that like, you know, basically she had tried to tell him that she was pregnant over like the summer break and he didn't take her calls and he then, and I mean, it really is. And once we get to that point when we're talking about Angel, once we get to that point when this shit starts happening, um, I will be talking more about it, I'm sure. Okay, sorry. <laughs> at six months pregnant, I was asked to report to work at 1 a.m. after my doctor recommended shortening my work hours. Due to long and physically demanding days and the emotional stress of having to defend my needs as a working pregnant woman, I began experiencing Braxton Hicks contractions. It was clear to me that the 1 a.m. 1 call was retaliatory. Back then, I felt powerless and alone. With no other options, I swallowed the mistreatment and carried on. After all, I had a baby on the way, and I was the primary breadwinner of my growing family. Unfortunately, all this was happening during one of the most wonderful times in new motherhood. All that promise and joy sucked right out, and Joss was the vampire. Despite the harassment, a part of me still sought his validation. I made excuses for his behavior and repressed my own pain. I have even stated publicly at conventions that I'd worked with that I'd work with him again. Only recently, after years of therapy and a wake-up call from the Times Up movement, do I understand the complexities of this demoralized thinking. It is impossible to understand the psyche without enduring the abuse. Our society and industry vilify the victims and glorify the abusers for their accomplishments. <sighs> Unfortunately, that's so true. The onus is on the abused with an expectation to accept and adapt to be employable. No, accountabil no accountability on the transgressor who sails on unscathed, unrepentant, and remorseless. These memories and more have weighed on my soul like bricks for nearly half of my life. I wish I said something sooner. I wish I had the composure and courage all those years ago, but I muted myself in shame and unconditional silence. With tears welling, I feel an overwhelming sense of responsibility to Ray and others for remaining private about my experience with Joss and the suffering it has caused me. It is abundantly evident that Joss has persisted in his harmful actions, continuing to create wreckage in his wake. My hope now, by finally coming forward about these experiences, is to create space for the healing of others who I know have experienced similar serialized abuses of power. Recently, I participated in Warner Media's Justice League investigation because I believe Ray to be a person of integrity who is telling the truth. 
His firing as Cyborg in The Flash was the last straw for me. Although I am not shocked, I am deeply pained by it. So I think what happened with that situation, I'm not entirely sure. He stood up during the Justice League, um, like, shooting process or whatever. I think he was standing up for himself and defending the way that he was treating Joss on set, was treating other people in the cast, and he got fired for it. And there's, like, an actual, like, you know, legal proceedings going on because of that situation. It troubles and saddens me that in 2021, professionals still have to choose between whistleblowing in the workplace and job security. It has taken me so long to muster the courage to make this statement publicly. The gravity of it is not lost on me. As a single mother whose family's livelihood is dependent on my craft, I'm scared. Despite my fear about its impact on my future, I can no longer remain silent. This is overdue and necessary. It is time. So incredibly brave of her to do that. I can't imagine how hard that is. It's something I've been thinking about all week with the Marilyn Manson shit. It's like how incredibly difficult it is to even admit that you've been abused and then, you know, times that by a hundred thousand when it's somebody that is a person of power. I do also want to just take a second to like, I've, I've been kind of paying attention to like who has spoken up in defense of Charisma Carpenter because that's important to me. Um, it's this, all this shit, like I said, she just released that statement in like on like Wednesday. So I don't think, you know, anybody is necessarily um, not standing up for her or not standing behind her just because they haven't said anything yet. Like, I, I want to make that clear, but um, I just want to give extra props for those that have said something. I It was particularly important to me to know how Anthony Stewart Head, who plays Giles, reacted to this because he is, he is a person that I will be gutted if I ever find out that he is a terrible person. I will be gutted. I will need to take a day off work or something to deal with that information. <laughs> Hopefully that's not the case. But he was on a talk show or something and someone asked him about this situation. And he said, I think he said the words, I'm gutted, possibly. I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not quoting him directly because I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I didn't write it down um, or take screens, screenshots of that. Um, but he said something to the effect of he's been awake all night just like thinking about trying to like go back over his experiences and like because he didn't notice what was happening and and he also clarified to say that like he's not saying that if I didn't see it that means it didn't happen he's just you know feeling bad that he didn't notice what was going on because he wasn't treated that way um, or he didn't say that but like that was the implication that that he didn't see what was going on because he didn't receive the same treatment. Um, but he said, I, you know, I felt like a father figure um, to the actors. And he said, I, I hate that they didn't come to me or something like that. He's like, I wish someone would have come to me. And so that just sort of like broke my heart that like he's taking this on himself to a certain extent, like going back and like, oh my God, oh, you know, going over everything in his head, like, you know, um, so anyway, 
Eliza Dushku, who plays Faith, she came forward and she said some really smart shit too. I was going to take screenshots of that, but then I didn't, but, um, maybe I'll go do that now. Okay. I'm not going to do this with like everything everyone said in defense of Charisma Carpenter, but I am going to do it with what Eliza Dushku said because, um, I thought it was just sweet and smart. Um, CC is in Charisma Carpenter. My heart aches for you and I'm so sorry you have held this for so long. Your post was powerful, painful, and painted a picture we'll collectively never unsee or unknow. Thank you. I hadn't known it and I won't forget it. I frequently think of the saying, we are as sick as our secrets. Our secrets indeed make and keep us sick. What I'm learning more and more and have personally found most valuable is that profound healing can only come from naming and disclosing what actually happened. The necessary first step, once someone's ready, to freeing ourselves from, those, from our secrets, untold truths, which have kept us isolated, ashamed, and held hostage. Neglecting to name the power slash gender slash sexual slash racial abuse epidemic in the entertainment industry, and for that matter, society in general, enables the abusers and only emboldens and ultimately fortifies abusive systems. God, Faith, you're so smart. May you and countless others feel the solidarity and connection you have likely missed for too long. From courage come change and hope. It starts and will end because of, sorry, there's something like on the screen that's like, okay, there we go. It starts and will end because of courageous truth tellers like you. I admire, respect, and love you. So that was really super sweet. Like, I'm just getting the picture that like, you know, for whatever reason, he targeted Charisma Carpenter and made her feel small. Um and made her feel isolated from her peers on set. So maybe she felt like she never really bonded with everyone else. And like, I don't know, like I'm obviously I'm making suppositions here, but, um, sorry, I know I've been talking about this for like way too fucking long, but, um, I just think this is, this is a powerful thing. People speaking up. It's, it's, it's so important. Anyway, Michelle Trachtenberg, who plays Dawn, she came forward and she basically, she basically said something to the effect of, um, he was very not appropriate with her and she was, you know, very young. She started working on the set when she was like, I don't know, 14, 15. That's how old her character was. I don't know if she was playing someone slightly younger than herself or not, but, um, someone else had said that there was a rule that after a certain incident had occurred, there was a rule that none of the actors would allow um, Michelle Trachtenberg to be in a room alone with Joss ever again after whatever the fuck happened, which she hasn't disclosed what that is. She just said it was very not appropriate, his behavior towards her. And Sarah Michelle Gellar, who obviously is Buffy, I'm saying obviously because some, I'm like, I guess some people might not know all the actors' names. So sorry if it seems weird that I say that. Like, uh, yeah, most people know Sarah Michelle Gellar is Buffy. She also came forward and said that she backed up. Basically, she, what she said was very short and sweet. She said, I am proud to be associated with the character of Buffy Summers, but I don't want to be associated with Joss Whedon you know, and they're, <sighs> anyway, so she came forward, Danny Strong, who played Jonathan, who's also kind of like, he's become sort of a big deal 
in Hollywood. So they're, you know, he's possibly putting his own career on the line by standing up for these people. And he came forward and said, I don't remember what exactly he said, but um, some other people too that I didn't know who they were. They were just other like writers and directors. There was one writer that came forward that has worked with Joss Whedon on Firefly. Uh, sorry, I don't remember his name, but he came forward and said that Joss Whedon is casually cruel. And he talked about how, kind of like how Charisma had said that he was amused by his own cruel antics. Um, this person was kind of corroborating that and saying that like he loved to make the female writers cry in the writing room and he would brag about it afterwards, how many times he made the women cry in the writer's room. Um, uh, James Marsters, who plays Spike, he also kind of spoke out in defense of Charisma Carpenter and his reaction, I think, if I remember correctly, was like, he didn't know what was happening, but he's so sorry that it happened and, you know, something kind of like that. And Marty Noxon, who was the showrunner on Buffy for like season four on, um, she kind of, she backed everybody up. She backed Charisma up too. I don't remember exactly what she said, but Amber Benson, who plays Tara, she also came forward. And what she said was that it was a toxic work environment. So, I mean, like, you know, just because I've been thinking about these two things um, this week, Marilyn Manson versus Joss Whedon, um, the Joss Whedon thing, it sounds like he was, like, he was toxic and manipulative and abusive and took advantage of his power and was difficult to work with. Um, I, I'm not putting him necessarily in the same category as someone who is horrifically abusive like Marilyn Manson, but that shit can really get in, get in you, you know, and it, it can really damage you. So it's weird that I'm like focusing so much on this stuff. I'm not usually a person that like really digs into the details of someone being shitty and that kind of thing. Um, but I am right now kind of like digging into all that stuff. I think it's kind of healing for me personally, particularly with all the Marilyn Manson stuff. It has really brought up some, some difficult stuff in my own past. Um, if for some reason you want to hear more about that, I talked about it on my most recent YouTube video, which is under the channel name, just Mixtress Ray. Um, and I also talked about it on my, um, radio show. So if you want to become a patron, um, links for that stuff is always in the description, but my most recent episode that is my podcast version of Mixtress Radio, I talked about it a bunch on that too. It's just something I'm really reckoning with right now. And I, there's a level of healing that's happening within me, simply seeing other people name their abusers. It's, it's almost like there's, there's some sort of societal healing going on right now. <laughs> if I can get mystical for a second, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it, it's weird to say that it feels good to have like, because I've been like digging into like the abusive actions of people that I've never met. And like, why does it feel good to dig into that? Because it's like, 
people being seen for what they've gone through and people being validated for what they've gone through I'm just like sort of getting some of that validation vicariously it's it's making some bad memories resurface but I'm dealing with them in a way that's more healing than I ever have before and anyway like weirdly this sort of dark shit finding out finding out that some of your heroes Joss Whedon and Marilyn Manson for me both of those people would have been people that I've at, in the past greatly admired in two totally different ways because I had a huge crush on Marilyn Manson and emulated his style and Joss Whedon I just thought you know he was an amazing feminist dude that created my favorite show of all time and like I yeah anyway <laughs> sorry um, I feel like some of y'all might not be here for all of this shit but if you are thank you for listening and I'm going to take a little pause break and compose myself so we can actually talk about Buffy, shall we? Okay, so let's start by talking about Angel. The Angel episode that aired 20 years ago today was called The Thin, the thin Deadline or just Thin Deadline? I guess I could actually consult the fucking episode guide that I never look at anymore. Let's do it, shall we? The Thin Deadline. A gang of zombie cops clamps down on crime in its precinct, but innocent people are dying as a result. So, another crappy episode of Angel. <laughs> like, it's basically just like some police chief, like, got into the dark arts and resurrected all of his police officers that have been killed. It's, it's like an a weird situation that's really not very believable. It's like in a certain precinct, like the amount of dead brought back from the dead zombie cops that were in this episode is just, I can't, and they're all like recently dead cops. So it's like, it doesn't make any sense that there would be that many of them. Um, cause at one point there was like a horde of them and like, Really? That many have been killed in the line of duty in the last, like, six months or so? Really? Really? I don't think so. Um, but anyway, it, it wasn't an entirely terrible episode. Like, I have had a lot of thoughts about, like, am I really going to go through with this? Like, there are points in the Angel series that are going to get real bad. You know, like, especially... And now... <laughs> You know, seeing that stuff that Charisma Carpenter put forward this last week. Um, I feel like it's almost like Joss Whedon's, like, whatever his vindictive behavior was towards Charisma Carpenter, whatever that was, like, was she the affair? Maybe. And then he just, like, was real pissed off at her when she moved on with her life. I don't know. Like, um... I guess maybe we'll find out, but anyway, um, knowing that now it's like how many of the plot points that happened in Angel, which this show really goes so fucking far off the rails and you can tell that it's like they didn't really give a shit about the story. They weren't really trying to do a great job. Like... It really goes off the rails at a certain point and it's kind of reined back in in the fifth season the fifth season was good if I remember it correctly 
but you know it's it's real dark for a while all that connor shit all the stuff that happens with charisma carpenter um cordelia's character really really is done wrong in the angel series um at a certain point uh, so anyway that's not more not what we're talking about today <laughs> sorry guys i like whenever i get on a subject i like just i really perseverate on it like I, it's an autism thing probably um so it's it's gonna be hard for me to not keep going back to that and i probably will but so strap in i guess um anyway so what do i want to say about this fucking episode so we get to see Anne again so if you don't remember Anne, she in this episode she is um like running a homeless shelter for teens i think we've seen her already in this role on angel i think we've seen her already but um she was in buffy she was in season of Buffy season three season three of Buffy we saw her she was going by Lily at that time and Buffy encountered her she was homeless at the time and um, at the end of the episode she took Buffy's middle name Anne. so she keeps that name so she we've seen her have three different names on Buffy because the very first time we saw her um, was she was a goth kid um, in like season two of Buffy and she was going by Chanterelle and then she was going by Lily when Buffy encountered her again so she's definitely someone that like she's an interesting character because they kept bringing her back and you know as an adult we see her over and over in the Angel series she's still going by Anne and she's like you know she's helping homeless teenagers and she was once a homeless teenager and so she's an interesting little side character that we don't see very often so like every time I see her I'm like yay look it's Anne um, we see Kate in this episode um, Wesley Cordelia and Gunn are still um, trying to run Angel investigations without Angel because he fired them. Um, Angel is kind of in the background. Like, you can tell he feels bad at this point and he wants to reconnect with them, but he doesn't know how. Um, and they're really hurt, so they're, they're really putting up walls against him at this point. But he's not actually verbalizing that he wants them back or anything like that. Um, so in that sense, like the character development stuff in this episode was okay. I really liked all the moments between, I like that this particular scenario of like angels out of the picture kind of for the moment, he's sort of sidelined, he's kind of the B plot. Um, I like that we're getting more of like, we're getting more of like Gunn's relationship to everyone else. So we're getting, we're getting a little bit more of him as a legitimate character in the series and in this episode in particular at one point Wesley gets shot and like it's perilous for a little while because he gets shot in the gut and Gunn is taking care of him and he's like at his bedside at the like sitting next to him in the hospital bed holding his hand he, he goes with him in the ambulance he 
it's there's a lot of little sweet moments like that of just like they're not really doing they're not not really making it over the top either it's just kind of little subtle moments of like of course he's there for him he's his friend you know like so it's nice to see that sort of that's sort of like the fact that they were all put out on the street essentially by angel and they're bonding and carrying on you know fighting on the side of good or whatever like that aspect of what's going on in angel right now is interesting to me all the darla obsession shit is not interesting to me although at this point i think like angels fighting on the side of good kind of in the background in this episode he's the one that like stops the zombies although um cordelia wesley and gun don't know that they just saw them all just like collapse and it was because um angel broke the spell angel tries to visit wesley in the hospital at the end of the episode um and cordelia kicks him out um what did she say to him i didn't write it down i just said cordelia yells at him she just basically says we don't need you anymore get out of here why are you here and i think that's kind of like that's kind of a good thing like he has really hurt them like i'm glad they're giving that some gra gravity in this in the series at this point let me just like go over my notes really quick just in case there was anything else oh this episode really like feels like because there's a lot of homeless teenagers in this episode um there's a lot of people of color so at least they included people of color in these homeless teenagers that are hanging out at the shelter um at least they included that but like it very much a lot of moments in this episode really reeked of like white writers trying to rap, write for black people you know it i think they were trying but i think it was a little like the way that they were having the black actors act seemed like an imitation of what white people think black people act like you know that was a very well constructed sentence okay <laughs> um and of course what do i know i'm just a white chick so i probably don't know what i'm talking about by critiquing that either but it did just feel a little off to me um not like anything like egregiously bad it was just sort of like y'all probably don't know what you're doing but you're trying it's cute kind of but like all you would have needed to do is like maybe i feel probably all the black actors that were in the scenes did not get any input you know if if they had been able to give input um if the writers had accepted that then perhaps that all would have looked less tone deaf to me and again maybe i don't know what i'm talking about so i'll just leave it at that it just seemed tone deaf to me um oh i wrote why didn't cordelia have a vision about this it just seems like a total oversight that like something so extreme was happening all of these like basically like all these like zombie cops were killing all these kids in the neighborhood just without provocation they were just like 
you know, they were just mindless zombies. And it seems like something that serious that Cordelia and Wesley and Gunn end up being personally involved in and they almost got killed because of this incident. You would think that something like that they would Cordelia would have had a vision about. But I don't think Cordelia's had a single vision since she hasn't been working with Angel. I don't know if they deal with that at some point. Like, is there some reason for that? I don't know. Anyway, so that was the Angel episode. I didn't really like it that much, but it was fine. Like, if I was binge-watching Angel or something, it would have been fine. It's just the fact that I'm paying attention to it and critiquing it that it's like, okay, this... This sucks. <laughs> what am I going to say about this? Because there's not that much to say about it. It's a perfectly serviceable episode of television with characters that I like a decent amount, but it's not great. Holy shit, guys. I've been talking for 40 minutes and we haven't even started talking about the Buffy episode. And I feel like I have a lot to say about this episode. You guys can already look and see how long this fucking episode ends up being. Um... But I'm going to try not to think about that. Let's talk about it. The Buffy episode, Crush. This is the episode where the writers tell us exactly how stupid the relationship with Spike and Buffy is. They're telling us exactly who he is in this moment. And we're not going to pay attention because we love Spike. And we want it to be okay. Why don't I have a bookmark? Hold on. Okay. Episode written by David Fury, directed by Daniel Atias. Atias? Here's the, the summary. Buffy finds out that Spike is in love with her, and she makes it very clear that he has no chance. I want you to let those words sink in. Okay. But when a love from Spike's past returns to Sunnydale, Spike decides to make some choices. <laughs> choices! <laughs> Okay, I wanted to, I paused it for a second so I could um, actually read the description that Nikki Stafford, um, her critique of the episode. And I'm going to read a certain passage here. Um, she talks about, you know, like, a lot of fans really love Spike and a lot of fans don't and blah, blah, blah. And like, what's up with Spike? And then, okay, this is the part that I think is important. Try watching this episode as if it's Spike as if Spike were an abusive boyfriend. And you'll see a different character emerge. He practices talking to Buffy by using a mannequin, but when he believes the mannequin tells him to go away, he hurls chocolate at it and takes its head off. To get Buffy's love, he chains her up in his crypt and threatens to kill her if she doesn't tell him she's in love with him. He uses Harmony for sex, but tells her to dress up as Buffy and then tries to kill her anyway. He's very abusive towards Harmony too, we'll talk about that. When Buffy refuses to go along with his little game, he screams at her, swearing and threatening her. If he were human, he'd be seen as an abusive alcoholic who needs to be in prison, attending anger management courses. He believes he loves Buffy, but wife abusers believe they love their wives too. Is he kind or is he a killer? So, that's important. That's important, and that's kind of my main takeaway with this episode too. Um... Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna actually, like, every time I'm like, where's my bookmark? And then I don't put one in there. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it right now. Okay, there's a bookmark, you guys. It's all good. It's all good. Okay. Let's get into my notes for Buffy episode Crush. Finally getting started, guys. 
Okay, so there's the first scene is we're at the bronze, there's a grand reopening, and I had to take a second, like, why are they reopening this time? Oh yeah, because the troll. The troll had, like, totally demolished the place. Um, at this point, it's probably been, like, a month since that happened. Um, so that makes sense, time-wise, that it would take them a month to remodel and sort of, like, recover. It might even take longer than that, but... So they're reopening after the troll situation. Acts of troll. <laughs> um, I thought it was interesting that they showed Buffy... Like, they showed everyone it was, like, Willow and Xander and Tara and Anya. They were all out on the dance floor dancing. But Buffy was sitting apart from everyone. But she wasn't, she didn't look like she was moping necessarily. She looked like she was enjoying watching her friends have a good time, but she just didn't want to join in or something. So she's kind of isolated from her friends. So I think that's important to note. But not in a, not in a big depressing way, but just kind of isolated from her friends. Um, and she looks great, by the way. She's wearing black vinyl pants. She's wearing um, kind of like a a crop spaghetti top looking thing underneath uh, a transparent shirt that has like embroidery on it. It's kind of sparkly and it's got like funky patterns on it and see-through and it just she looks great. She looks great. It's a badass outfit. Too bad we didn't get to see her dancing in it but she's just sitting watching everyone dancing and then Spike comes and sits next to her and immediately it's jarring to me that like they're they've put Spike in this outfit that it's like this whole episode he's wearing like these weird like he's wearing army green and he's wearing like white and he's wearing some different leather jacket that's not his iconic leather jacket it's something else um like he's trying to look like a normal dude or something he's definitely trying to look like someone that Buffy would be interested in so that like struck me right away that like oh why are they putting Spike in these weird outfits I don't think they've done this yet like I feel like I would have noticed like I don't think he's been I think maybe last episode they did put him in sort of some weird shirts and stuff but they yeah I so I guess he's just trying to dress in a way that will appeal to Buffy since he is now self-aware of the fact that he's obsessed with her um, and he sits down and tries to like talk to her and she's like why are you talking to me like we're friends or something and he gets kind of awkward and he drops his beer and he kind of storms off and um, yeah so that happens Willow's still getting headaches from when she did the teleportation spell with Glory in the last episode I think it was the last episode um, and like you see sort of some frustration from Tara she's like like I've said a thousand times no more teleportation spells but, I mean, Willow has a good point. Like, it's possible they all would have been dead if she hadn't done that. So. Um, <laughs> at one point, Xander says, I worked hard for that. I work hard for that money. And, like, immediately I'm like, ee, 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 ee. <laughs> so hard for it, honey. Xander work hard for the money. So you better treat him right. <laughs> Sorry. Um. 
My next note is Sunnydale has a train station, so we get a scene with um, a train pulls in at the station, and um, everyone on it is dead, and we don't know who it is yet, but we find out later that it's Drusilla. Um, the next scene, Buffy's coming home from the bronze. Giles has been um, hanging out with Dawn and Joyce, just in case, like, um, just in case Glory shows up, I guess. Um, Buffy asks Giles, like, she, she says they've been really kind of easy on Dawn lately, considering the circumstances, that she just found out she's the key, and she's still dealing with that, blah, 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 and should we continue to go easy on her? And Giles is like, no, you should treat her normally. So then, like, immediately Buffy yells at Dawn for taking her blue cashmere sweater, and Dawn's like, I didn't do that, and the, the next scene we see that, um, Spike is sitting around like caressing the sweater and then Harmony comes in and she tries to like seduce him and he's not in the mood but then she's like well we could play a game and then he has her dress up like Buffy like he even has like brown spandex pants like the ones she used to wear and Buffy blue wearing Buffy blue and um she he has her dress up like Buffy and then he's interested um, yeah, <laughs> it's really like, if you do, okay, I want to make it clear that like, now that we're starting to really go down the rabbit hole of Spike's obsession with Buffy and the next season, we're going to be going down the rabbit hole of their twisted relationship. If you can even call it that, um, I'm going to be talking about this a lot, but I want to make it clear that like, I am also very susceptible to Spike's charms. I do think he genuinely cares about Buffy, um, but he's also a manipulator and a gaslighter and a terrible abusive boyfriend. Like I don't, are, I don't, I don't think that what the writers did with him as a character is a bad thing. I think that them showing us who Spike is, is a good thing. And it actually was a good thing for me. Another thing that I've been thinking about this last week, because I've been kind of, because of all this Marilyn Manson shit and because I'm, you know, I was obsessed with him when I was a teenager and like the whole thing. Um, I've been flashing back to my first like serious relationship and I've started calling him what he has been this whole time, but I've never done that before this week. I'm, I've been referring to him as my abuser. So with my abuser, when I was watching season six in particular, and I'm sure I'll bring this up a million more times, but I've possibly already brought it up with you guys before. I try not to get too personal on this podcast, but let's be real. It's not like I know how to have a filter tact. It's just not saying true stuff, you know? So I've been flashing back to him a lot because he, he has a resemblance to, to Marilyn Manson in, in a sense, like he didn't actually like look like him. He wasn't even a big fan of Marilyn Manson or anything like that, but like he was with, he was in the goth subculture and a lot of like violence that was perpetrated by people within the goth subculture. There was like a certain influence from Marilyn Manson, whether you were a huge fan of him or not. Um, or it seemed like it anyway. It's just, you know, the general sexism being amplified by violence. Anyway, whatever. 
in any case, I've been flashing back to that relationship a lot and something that this episode is making me think about again was the fact that when I first watched season six back in 2001, um, it would have been the end of 2001. I was, I just graduated high school. I was in the very end of my relationship with this person and watching this season of Buffy helped that season of Buffy season six. So not the one we're currently on helped me come to terms with the fact that he really was an abusive person that I needed to leave because I saw parallels in spike to my own relationship with that person. And, um, seeing that portrayed on screen in like a fantasy sense that felt safe. Like if I had seen like an actual, like literal portrayal of domestic violence in the real world, I don't think I necessarily would have made those connections. It was easier for me personally to see it in this sort of like vampire sense. And if they hadn't told that story, if they hadn't gone as far as they went, which a reminder, this is not a spoiler free podcast, if they hadn't had Seeing Red, the episode where Spike attempts to rape Buffy, if they hadn't gone that far in the storyline to show you that Spike is not a good person, I don't know if I would have, I mean, not to say that I would have, it's not like I would have stayed in that relationship my entire life or anything like that. You know, something else would have gotten me away from that person, but like, I do attribute some of the reason why I had the strength to leave him to seeing Spike and the way that he treats Buffy. So I want to make it clear that like, I am also susceptible to Spike as a character. I like him. I like how devoted he is to Buffy. Whenever he puts that sweet face on and he has empathy and compassion for Buffy, when he protects her at all costs, as we're going to see in the next, I don't know, episode or two, like really soon we're going to see him get tortured almost to death by glory and it's a super sweet moment and that is going to pull at my heartstrings there's like i'm going to be along for the ride and be happy when buffy and spike get together quote unquote you know like i want to make it clear that even though i'm a lot of the time what i'm going to say in the coming year and a half that we're going to be talking about spike and buffy all the fucking time in the next two years, we're going to be talking about Spike and Buffy all the fucking time. I'm, I want to make it clear that I'm there with you. Like most people really love Spike and I do too, but we need to see him for who he is. And this episode makes it very clear. So the next scene actually is we see Tara, Willow, and Buffy getting out of class and they're talking about Quasimodo, which I, that's the like tale of Notre Dame or something. Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yes. Right. I don't know this story. I, I don't know anything about it, but I wrote in its entirety what Tara says, which is an obvious, like the show telling you exactly who Spike is. And no matter what happens between Spike and Buffy, this is the truth of it. This is the mission statement of their entire relationship right here in this episode. So I just wanted to say it in its entirety. So I wrote it down word for word. This is the quote of the episode, even though it's like a paragraph. Um, and it's not like 
particularly witty and memorable, but it's Tara telling us who Spike is. So they're talking about Quasimodo. And Willow's talking about how she thinks that, like, him and whoever the female character is, I don't even know, get married. She wants them to get married at the end or something like that. And Tara says, it can't end like that because Quasimodo's actions were all selfishly motivated. He had no moral compass, no understanding of right. Everything he did out of love was out of, everything he did, he did out of love for a woman who'd never be able to love him back. I'm going to say that again. We all need to remember this no matter how much we fucking love Spike. It can't have a happy ending. Buffy doesn't love Spike when she says she loves him at the end of the entire series. I can hear my mom arguing with me right now, but she didn't love him. And he knew that. That's why he said, thanks for saying it. No, you don't. Thanks for saying it. Quasimodo's actions were all selfishly motivated. Let's just change that. I'm going to say the whole thing with Spike. Spike's actions were all selfishly motivated. He has no moral compass, no understanding of right. Everything he does, he does out of love for a woman who'd never be able to love him back. This is the moment. This is the mission statement. This is the show trying to tell us, even though we all are so fucking charmed by him, he not good. He bad, okay? <laughs> um, Buffy steals the guy's newspaper. I don't like little moments like that, where she just like, hey, you done with that? She snatches a newspaper out of some random dude's hands. So she sees the, like, the attack on the train, and she, you know, investigates it out of, that's how she finds out that that happened. Um, Dawn shows up at Spike's house. Spike accuses Dawn of lurking, which I thought was just a funny little moment because in the last episode, Dawn was accusing Spike of lurking when she was trying to sneak out of the house. This was like one of the weird outfits of Spike. He's wearing like, he looks like he's wearing an initiative outfit. He's wearing like army green cargo pants and an army green shirt. It's like he's deliberately dressing like Riley. Or something which is gross um i like when he says to dawn that like they're having a conversation about like um dawn's like you treat me like i'm a person um even though i am not a person <laughs> and spike's like well i started out as human doesn't seem to matter very much to me who what you start out as um so it's just a little creepy, just in general. Dawn, a 14-year-old girl hanging out with a 200-whatever-year-old vampire. Um, I don't know. That's hitting me in sort of a creepy place right now that it never has before. So I just wanted to mention that. Um, Buffy finally comes over and, like, I guess she hangs out with him for, like, hours and he's telling her he's telling her stories about killing people like i mean this tracks honestly because as a teenage girl i would have been super into those stories it's one of the reasons i was into marilyn manson because like i was into the, like i went through that sort of phase of like i mean i never grew out of being a goth child i'm still a goth child but i 
definitely went through a phase where I was seeking out violent stories and like masochistic things and sadism things and like I was definitely going down that road of exploring the dark side of human nature and a lot of teenagers go through that just in general whether or not that they identify as goth but so that tracked for me that like she was interested in that I guess and it makes sense that he would be bragging about it so I guess never mind I'm talking myself out of that being weird but Buffy comes in and Dawn's like no let him finish his story I want him to finish his story and Buffy's like let's hear the story that Spike is telling my little sister <laughs> I liked that um then on the walk home Dawn kind of reveals that she or Buffy realizes that Dawn has a crush on Spike and um, Dawn's like doesn't matter if I do anyway he would never notice me because he's too obsessed with you and Buffy's like all shocked like and she's like you can't you can't have a crush on him he's evil and um, sorry I'm backtracking and um, Dawn's like but you had a crush you were with Angel and she's like, that's different. He has a soul. And Dawn's like, Spike has a chip. Same diff. Not really same diff, but yeah. I can see how you could think that. Um, and Buffy's like, next day, Xander and Buffy, they go to the train. They're sort of investigating. Um, there's not really anything there except a bunch of like tape outlines of the people that died in their seats. Um and Buffy tells Xander that Dawn told her <laughs> and then <laughs> Buffy tells Xander that Dawn told her <laughs> that she thinks that Spike <laughs> sounds so gossipy right um and Xander thinks it's funny but then Xander gets upset that like because Buffy's sort of explaining well I think Dawn kind of has a crush on him and Xander is upset that she doesn't have a crush on him anymore. Why? How could she have a crush on Spike? And I never really saw this as creepy until this moment, and now that seems kind of creepy. Like, why does he care? He's like 20 years old, and she's 14. And it's especially, again, like I said in the last episode, it's just especially creepy knowing that they end up together in the comics. Um, it's just creepy. It just is. Um, Buffy at some point says, I always knew he had some sort of fixation with me, but so makes sense. I just had a flashback to the very last season of, because they still called it seasons in the comics. The very last season of Buffy in the comics was so, so awful. And it was because Joss Whedon came in at the end and he was like, I'm going to take over now. He didn't really have anything to do with the comics most of the time, but he swooped in at the last minute and he wrote and like spearheaded the storyline, blah, blah, blah. He had a much bigger role in that last season in the comics and it was awful. It was so awful. I just flashed back to it for a second. <laughs> Anyway, um, we get a scene with like Buffy's coming home from something 
and Joyce is talking to Spike and Dawn. She's coming home from that, I guess, hanging out with Xander and, like, investigating the whole train thing. And Joyce, she finds Joyce, Spike, and Dawn in the kitchen, and Joyce is telling a story to Spike and Dawn, and they're laughing and blah, 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 and she's entertaining them with her gal art gallery story, which I would have liked to have heard that story. Like, we don't ever get to hear stories about Joyce in the gallery, you know? Um, he's dressed super fucking weird again. That's just something that I put in my notes. Um, and he's there to show Buffy, like, a vamp nest that he's found or something like that. And so they're on, like, a stakeout waiting for the vampires to come home. And, um, he offers her bourbon. He offers her a flask. And she's like, Ew. And Spike says, it's not blood, it's bourbon. And she's like, ew. <laughs> it was just a funny exchange to me. It's not blood, it's bourbon. <laughs> um, they go in, like, the vampires are super, like, scared of Buffy. And they're making popcorn when she comes in. And they're scared of her and they run away. And Buffy's like, these aren't the people that were responsible for the train thing. These people have nested. They've been here for a while. Um, like, why did you bring me here? And then we get an important conversation. So Buffy confronts Spike about, like, do you think this is a date? What What is happening here? Like, and then he tells her that, he tries to tell her that he loves her. She stops him from completing the sentence and she she says and he starts he starts with his shit he starts with like this he's gonna get really insidious with this stuff of like telling her no one else will love you this kind of thing like he doesn't say that at all in this episode but like or maybe he never quite says that but like abusive type stuff of he's saying you know there's something here admit it and he says to her, you can't deny it. And she says, she makes a very, very clear boundary in this first scene. She says, there is no we understand. She says it. She even does like these like hand motions where she's like making little X's in the air. She is creating boundaries with her words and her body language. Um, she is saying no, and he's not accepting it. He goes home, um, and Drusilla is there. So we find out at this point, we know for sure that it is Drusilla that killed everyone in the, it's, I find it kind of odd because like she was just on like a murderous rampage with Darla and Angel burned them both and it makes sense to me that Drusilla would kill an entire train full of people, which is not a normal thing that she would do. And they didn't really explain it, but I assume that the reason she was doing that is because it helps her heal from her injuries because she was burned really badly by Angel a couple episodes ago on Angel. So they didn't really explain that. I'm assuming that's what they meant, that why she would do something that horrendous because it's not typical for her to do something that crazy all at once, but maybe it is. I don't know. Um, she wants him back. She has decided that she wants Spike back. So he's there. He's 
she's there. He's just been rejected by Buffy. And Drusilla's kind of telling him, you know, she's decided that she could accept him even though he has a chip. Um, she can just, you know, she wants him back. Anyway, whatever. Harmony comes in and she's like, what is going on here? She thinks, you know, because she had, he had her dress up like Buffy, that this is like, she says, it's okay, so you brought some cheap queen of the damned to dress up like your precious Drudzilla. I love how she says that. And this is where, like, I get really upset because the way that Spike treats Harmony is so awful. Again, think of him in, like an abusive boyfriend. Um, he treats Harmony with zero respect. He throws her to the ground and he, we've seen him be abusive to her before. Like I realize they're vampires, you know, like they, they have super strength. Like we're not supposed to see his actions as being abusive boyfriend actions necessarily, or maybe we are, but you know, he throws her to the ground. He's super dismissive and disrespectful of her. And he always is. He really only has some kind of relationship with her because she's there and she's interested in him. He's never shown any affection towards her or any respect or anything. And I hate that. I just hate it. Like it used to not bother me at all because I think just we were conditioned as a society, you know, pre the last 10 or 15 years when feminism has really kind of taken it to the next level and like respect for women really has gone up. It really has made a difference. Um, pre all of that, like the last time I watched, I guess it's been a while since I watched this particular, these seasons of Buffy, like I didn't have respect for Harmony either. And now I'm just like, Oh, poor baby. And her hair looks fucking great. Like I want Harmony's hair. Like I don't really want blonde hair, but just like my hair color. But like that sort of like kind of blown back loose curls thing, like it just looks so effortless and gorgeous and I love it. And anyway, he's terrible to her and violent towards her. I'm just like the fact that the mere fact that Drusilla is here right now, I almost called her Drudzilla, Drudzilla. Um, the mere fact that Drusilla is here right now is enough to make him completely dismissive of Harmony. He just kicks her out, throws her to the ground and kicks her out. Um, and then we get a scene with Buffy, Willow, and Joyce sitting on the couch together and like Buffy's telling them that Spike has a crush on her. And this is interesting to me because it's like, this is Buffy being a psychologically sound, mentally stable adult human being. She's going to her best friend and her mom to tell them that a potentially dangerous person is obsessed with her. She's seeing the situation for exactly what it is. And she's confiding in people around her. Like most, maybe not most of the time, but like in the future, Buffy's not going to be going to her friends to tell them about anything. She's not going to be confiding in her family. She's not going to be mentally stable and psychologically open and like, so this is kind of a big moment for Buffy almost. I don't know. Maybe it's not, maybe I'm reading too much into that, but like, 
normally when Buffy is dealing with something that's difficult for her, she isolates. And she's not doing that in this episode. So it's like, maybe she's made a step forward. I don't know. We won't see that very many other times. Um, Joyce suggests maybe she, did you do anything to lead him on unintentionally? And this is such like an innocent mom thing to say in some ways, but at the same time, it's rooted in sexism, you know, like that sort of, did you do anything, honey? Like, I know, I know you didn't mean to, but did you do something to lead him on and make him act this way? Like, hopefully in general, moms aren't saying shit like that to, to their teenage daughters. <laughs> I guess Buffy's technically 20 now as of last episode. Um, and Buffy just says, well, I do beat him up a lot. <laughs> um, so they decide in this conversation that Buffy needs to go talk to him right now and make it extremely clear that there's no chance. I think she did that already in the last conversation. I think she was very clear, but, but I guess she doesn't feel like she really was clear. So she decides to go talk to him. Um, the next scene we get Spike and Drusilla at the bronze. Um, I just want to say Drusilla gets outfit of the episode. She is, I don't love the entire, I don't love the accessories. I don't like her shoes. I don't like her necklace. And I don't like that sort of like neck scarf thing that she has going. Although she didn't have that weird crystal necklace on. Um, I think that the neck scarf would have made more sense. I personally would have gone with like a Victorian black beaded necklace of some kind with this outfit. I think that would have been more fitting for Drusilla, but I wasn't on set that day to make those decisions. So they didn't ask me, but the rest of the outfit gets outfit of the episode. So she was wearing kind of like a, a tank top style top that was black lace layered over like white satin or something like that. Um, really gorgeous and her skirt was a black skirt with a bunch of white embroidery on it like white embroidered roses and stuff like that it was it was a gorgeous outfit and it was very Drusilla so Drusilla and Spike come into the bronze and we see an example of what their life together could be with Drusilla having to do the killing for Spike since he has a chip in his head. So they like target this couple that's on like the second floor or whatever that little balcony thing is in the bronze. They see a couple making out, which looked very awkward by the way. Like <laughs> their like feet were like two feet apart and they were sort of like, they were like making a triangle, making out with each other. It was very strange looking, like it was awkward, but I guess they had to be in a weird position for, anyway, for the scene to play out the way that it needed to. So Spike and Drusilla go up, they get this couple, Drusilla grabs the woman, breaks her neck and like pushes the woman into Spike's arms. So he can feed on her because she's already dead. The chip allows that to happen, apparently. Okay. Um, had to take a little pee break. <laughs> um, and it should be noted that Spike is in his typical outfit again when he arrives at the bronze with Drusilla. <laughs> I keep wanting to say Drudzilla. 
<laughs> I think you just really like that. I want to name something Druidzilla. Maybe I'll name my next cat Druidzilla. <laughs> anyway, um, it's just a great combination between Drusilla and Godzilla. You know, like, I want there to be a cartoon that's named Drudzilla, Just like a cartoon villain that is like half Drusilla, half... Just like a gigantic, like, 50-foot woman version of Drusilla. Drusilla. <laughs> anyway, um, so he's in his normal outfit again. Thank God, because he looked so fucking weird before in the rest of this episode. And obviously, that was a stylistic choice that they made in the wardrobe department to, like... Anyway, so we get this sort of, like, really heavy, tense moment of, like, right after Drusilla has broken the neck of the girl and she's like feeding on the boy already and um the girl is in um spike's arms and like is he gonna feed on her or not is he gonna do it or not and to me this this moment wasn't as heavy and as and as emotionally charged as i feel like it was supposed to be um because to me it doesn't matter what his actions are in this moment. It, it made it seem like if he makes the choice to go ahead and feed on this woman, then it means he hasn't changed because he did. I didn't even mention this, but he did mention to Buffy, like I've changed. I, I don't need to be evil anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm in love with you. I don't have to be evil anymore. It doesn't matter to me. And like, <laughs> um, so this was supposed to be a moment where he was like, is, has he really changed? And it's been a long time since he's fed on a human. So you can tell that he is kind of having, I mean, I guess it's important that he's having the reckoning with like, am I going to do this or not? I think it's important for his character, I guess, but it doesn't matter to me. Ultimately, it wasn't as heavy of a situation because she's already fucking dead. The damage has been done, you know? Um, so to me, this moment didn't have as much weight as I think the show wanted us, wanted it to have because, you know, it doesn't matter at this point. She's already fucking dead. You know, if I were a vampire, no matter how morally good I was, if, if this shit had just happened, I mean, obviously, like, I think they kind of knew what they were getting into and maybe he could have stopped it before it happened. But the fact that in that exact moment, like, I would have just been like, well, she's already dead, so might as well make use of the meat. You know what I mean? <laughs> that sounds awful, but um, anyway, I hope you guys know what I mean. <laughs> I wrote moral quandary? Like, I, we're supposed to think that's a moral quandary for him, but it doesn't... It If, it, like, I don't know, if she wasn't dead, but you hear Drusilla snap her neck. I think, unless we're supposed to think she's unconscious... Because if we're supposed to think she's unconscious, then I totally understand. But why would he be okay? Why would he be, why would the chip allow him to feed on an unconscious woman? Like, I feel like, uh, that would be too fuzzy of a situation and he could have gotten around that and Buffy should have just fucking killed him at this point, if that were the case. So I think we're supposed to think she's dead. Okay. Anyway, gonna stop obsessing over that. Um, Buffy goes to Spike's and she finds his Buffy shrine. 
like how has Harmony not found his Buffy shrine? So apparently he has like a, there's like a sort of an underground aspect to this crypt that he lives in and Buffy finds the access point to the underground. It was like she knew exactly where it was. Um, and she just goes down there and she like pulls a sheet off. She finds the like, she finds the little, um, uh, mannequin that has her sweater on it that she's been missing and the the blonde wig she finds the mannequin she finds a bunch of pictures of her just this whole buffy shrine area which is creepy as fuck like that's not cute like i know that we like spike and i know that he is genuine he genuinely cares and has empathy for buffy like i said before but this is serial killer shit. They're telling us exactly who Spike is and we need to listen. That's all I'm saying. So he sees her as she's coming up from discovering his shrine. He's home with Drusilla. And Drusilla puts like a cattle prod to her or like a, like a taser or something. I don't know. I don't know the difference between those two things. Um and they knock her out she wakes up she's chained up um also spike has he turned the cattle prod slash taser on drew as well we see that and then whenever buffy wakes up chained up he's staring at her when she wakes up also creepy and drew is tied up as well so he's got them both restrained in his, I think they're in the underground part of the crypt now. Yeah, they'd have to be. Um, and then Spike decides that he needs to prove to Buffy his devotion to her. And the way that he's going to do that is by killing Drusilla. And he has this whole speech, like, do you understand how important she is to me? She's the face of my salvation. And just sort of this kind of sweet, if you take it completely out of context, speech about like, you know, this is Drusilla. She's the face of my salvation. I was incredibly lucky. She never stopped surprising me. I was incredibly lucky just to touch such black beauty and like all this super like romantic sweet stuff he says to her. But he's like, but I'll kill her to prove to you how important you are to me. Which is also like, this is not, <laughs> this is bad behavior. Um, but there's a certain level of like Buffy's shocked by this. She's disgusted by this, but you can also see because Sarah Michelle Gellar is an incredible actress. You can also see there's like a little bit of like fascination with this because Buffy as a character has a superiority complex. She thinks she's more important than most people. She thinks she's very special and she is, but she has that superiority complex. So I think some of this is actually flattering her. I think it is. Um, I like when Drew says, like she wakes up and she's all tied up and she's like, this isn't fair. This isn't what we agreed upon. You've taken my chair and the music hasn't stopped. <laughs> I love that. Spike at one point says to Buffy, I'm drowning in you, Summers. 
And anyway, I'm going to kill Drusilla for you. And then he says, if you don't admit that there's something there, some tiny feeling for me, like, like I read in the book, in the episode guide, like he basically tells her, I'm going to kill you if you don't admit, which, or he can't kill her because of the chip, but he's like basically saying, I'm going to untie Drew and let her kill you if you don't admit that you have some kind of feeling for me. Which, first of all, that is, it's incredibly manipulative and achy, but it's also just like, you couldn't believe her if she said that in this moment anyway, because she would be saying it to save her own life. It's just, anyway, I, I don't know what my point is by saying that, but just whatever. And here's like, possibly the scariest moment of this entire scene, definitely the scariest moment of this entire scene, possibly the scariest moment of the whole episode for me personally, right before she says it, I remember that she's going to say it. And I was just like, Oh God, I think I even had to pause it and be like, I just remembered what she's about to say. And I had to take a second. And then she says it. Buffy's response to like, admit that you have some sort of tiny feeling for me. And she says to Spike, the only chance you had with me was when I was unconscious. And I remember this is what's so like eye opening about that particular statement. Like that sounds so upsetting that that would be in a show. So upsetting. The implications of that the only chance you had with me was when I was unconscious. That seemed like such a badass thing to say back in 2001. And now it's like, oh God, oh God, <laughs> I don't know. That was just so disturbing to me. Let me know if you guys feel the same way. Um, okay. I, I did like this moment where Sp at the end of the scene, Spike says, this with you is wrong. I know it. I'm not stupid. I liked when he did that, when he said that, when he said like, I don't know why I'm obsessed with you. I know it's stupid. I know I shouldn't be. Um, then Harmony comes in and she shoots spike in the back with a crossbow. I don't know why this didn't kill him because it looked like it hit him in the heart region. If any other vampire would have been hit in that general region, he would have been staked at that moment. But of course, since it's spike, he's fine. She shoots him with the crossbow. She comes in and she's like, what about me, spike? You forgot about me again, the actual girlfriend, which good point, Harmony, good motherfucking point. <laughs> he's like having this whole showdown between like his current obsession and his former obsession and Harmony comes in like, but what about me? The one that's actually your girlfriend? You don't give a shit about me? You totally forgot about me. I'm not important to you. This reminds me also <laughs> just more personal stories. That's what you guys tuned in for today, right? Tuned in. <laughs> I say that because I have a radio show. That's what you guys showed up for today is all my fucking personal stories, right? Boyfriend number two, so not the one that I call my abuser, but he was also abusive in his own way. He had this tendency, like, the, the women that he's dated, all of them, like, we could all form a coven, not just because we're exes of the same person, but just because 
we have so much in common and we're all like really like I like to think of myself as being amongst this group but like all of his girlfriends that he's ever had have all been like incredibly cool people like people that I genuinely some of them I was already friends with before he started dating them several of them and others I became friends with later um god that's weird I didn't even think about that one, two, three. Three of his exes I was friends with before he dated them. <laughs> That's weird. I never thought about how many it actually was. But anyway, um, the point being, he's had all of his exes are super cool people. And I noticed a pattern with him that, like, he would really lift me up and he had a lot of respect for me and he treated me with a lot of kindness and respect before because we were friends for years and years before we ever started dating but but when we started dating it was like he lost respect for me it was almost like that groucho Marx thing that like when i was in or by the time i accepted him as a human being he no longer respected me or trusted me like as soon as like he actually had me as a girlfriend it was dating me he could no longer respect me and because we were kind of an on again off again relationship um i would see that go back and forth it's like when we weren't together anymore he respected me again but then we'd get back together and that respect would be gone <laughs> this reminds me of that kind of um i don't even know what it was that reminded me of that but anyway so some shit goes down at this point. As soon as Harmony comes in, it brings chaos into the mix. Drusilla gets herself free, and then she starts attacking Buffy, and Harmony and Spike are fighting, and Buffy... It's it's Buffy versus Drusilla, Harmony versus Spike in the scene. And then at some point, Spike intervenes, because Buffy's still chained up. Spike intervenes at some point, and he saves Buffy. He unchains her. And then Drusilla leaves she's like oh i can't help you never mind this is this is over i'm out she leaves harmony also tells spike she's done with him and leaves and then buffy punches spike in the face and she leaves um the next scene the very last scene of the episode is spike is chasing buffy down the street she's like almost home He's caught up to her and he's like, we need to talk. You can't just leave this. You can't just walk away from this, which is so weird that he would even be saying that. I don't know. The fact that he went from like her, he went from like hiding his feelings for her from her to you can't walk away from this. Don't leave. We're having a fight. Like, we need to talk this out. You have to admit that you have feelings. It just feels very abrupt to me that he would immediately be like, admit you have feelings for me. Do it. Do it now. But I think it's just this episode is supposed to tell us who he is. That's all. Who he is. What this is. Abusive boyfriend Spike. So he chases her down the street and Spike's like, you can't walk away from this. And Buffy says... You don't come near me, my friends, my family, ever. Understand? She does it again. She sets a very 
very clear boundary and he just dismisses that she tells him don't come near me or my friends or family ever again like what's more clear than that she says that to him and he just completely dismisses it he's like you can't shut me out I'm in your life and he's trying to follow her inside of her house and he gets shut down the mystical barrier is up the invitation has been rescinded so that was really powerful me for me in this episode in the past when I've watched this episode and seen that moment where he gets shut out I'm with him in the past I've been with him I've been hurt like he is that she would shut him out like that but this time I'm like I'm like relieved like she's setting a clear boundary she has told him no unequivocally and she backed it up by like getting I'm sure she had Willow like perform the spell to like revoke his invitation to the house while she was gone and I thought that was a really powerful moment and she looks him in the eye like nope I'm really fucking serious dick and he's hurt of course and of course my heart melts anytime he's hurt my heart melts even though he's I mean that's why abusive relationships work because like the dude's usually nice to you at first you know it's never like he's a total irrevocable irredeemable asshole from the very fucking beginning you know you have empathy for the person they have the ability to like get you to care about them that's why abusive relationships work because they know how to manipulate you you know anyway <laughs> so of course my heart breaks whenever he looks genuinely hurt that she shut him out but anyway powerful episode let's go ahead and get to the ratings okay I've only been talking for an hour and a half I know that's a lot but like <laughs> That's not the longest I've talked about an episode of Buffy, right? Okay. Object of the episode, like, I had a hard time. I actually sat and thought about it for a while after watching it. I had a hard time deciding what my object of the episode is. And I decided, this is kind of a cheat, but I decided it was the bronze. I just want the entire bronze. If I was ever, like, super independently wealthy... I would get a replica of the bronze. I would get a replica of the bronze from like the first couple seasons. Like now it's not quite as cool as it was before, but I would get a replica of the bronze built in, you know, somewhere like within a block or two of my house. And it would be, it wouldn't be just like a private club for me and my friends or anything. It would, it would be like an, a club that was open. I would just fund it to be open. I would fund for a bronze to be open. I wonder if there is a bronze that exists. I wonder if someone's made one. That would be cool. So that's my object of the episode. I want, I just want that place to exist. You know, a bar that has really cool bands that I like, which what was the music in this episode? I like that song. Key by Devix or De Devix Devix D E V I C. I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce that, but that was the band that was playing in the bronze this episode, and um, I like that song. Um, so I would just have the bronze. That would be my thing. <laughs> I really wish there was like a place to go dance. 
I mean, obviously with the pandemic, like no one really has that right now, but I live in a small town and we don't have that anyway. We don't even have a gay bar anymore. Like growing up, we always had one, but I think like some combination of just like social media and grinder and all that stuff, like the small population of gay people in my small town have found other ways to find each other so we don't need a gay bar or something. We don't even have one. I mean, we have, I mean, I guess maybe that's a thing. I wonder if that's a thing. If like specific gay bars aren't really, are kind of dying down because gay people are more accepted in general. So maybe just like all bars can be gay friendly bars now. Maybe that's why we don't have a gay bar anymore, but I miss it because it was a place where I felt safe to go dance, you know, cause you weren't really going to get hit on at a gay bar. I mean, I got hit on by a woman once at a gay bar, but it wasn't like, it was a super classy, respectful experience. And I didn't even realize I was being hit on for a little while because it was like actually the way that you should approach a person that you're interested in like not being super creepy from from the get-go like dudes are hashtag not all dudes but most anyway um so obviously the episode is the bronze outfit of the episode was drusilla's outfit like i said earlier that quote was just that tara quasimodo quote i'm gonna say it again three times because i think it's important that we remember this that we keep this in mind even though we love spike and I'm going to also just change the wording to, cause it's about Spike. It just is. Spike's actions are all selfishly motivated. He has no moral compass, no understanding of right. Everything he does, he does out of love for a woman who will never be able to love him back. That's the quote of the episode. MVP, there really wasn't anyone that stood out in this episode as being MVP. Um, so I'm going to give it to Drusilla just because she's here. And this is, I think this is probably the last time we're ever going to see Drusilla on Buffy. And do we ever see her again on Angel? Is this the last time we ever see Drusilla? I don't know. I don't know, but it's possible. Five by five. Like, I think this is an important episode. I think there's a reason for it. You know, it's... I think it's important. It's, it's, it's been like a very like <sighs> interesting timing for this particular episode to talk about an abusive boyfriend, a person that's telling us who they are before we fall in love with them. You know, it's just like how Marilyn Manson has told us who he, he is since the beginning. And we, and people like me ignored it or thought that it was some kind of persona or made excuses for him, etc. I was one of those people. I thought that he was like saying a lot of things to sensationalize them, you know? <sighs> anyway, I've been going through it this week, guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being my therapist. You guys are the best. Seriously. Um, I usually don't get that personal on the podcast, but... Um, this is usually more like what my, um, radio show is, um, because that gets heard by less people. So I feel a little bit more open to like talk about whatever. Um, 
So if for some reason you're into that, you can become a patron of any level of giving, even though even if it's only a dollar a month and you get to hear my fucking personal rants every single week if you choose to do so. Um, so five by five ratings, like how much did I like this episode? I think it was a necessary episode. It wasn't like one that's like super memorable, super enjoyable. Like it's not like a top 10 or a top 25 even, but it's important for the storyline. I'll give it a three. Like it's, it's fine. It's fine. I think it's a little bit forgettable just because it's a necessary episode, but nothing really that super memorable happens in this episode. So I'm going to give it a three. I mean, the memorable item of like Drusilla being there, that should kind of bump it up a little bit. Maybe I'll give it a 3.5. Let's say 3.5. So I hope you guys are doing okay. If you have, if you want to talk about everything that's happening lately, <laughs> Uh, send me an email or I just restarted Twitter. Like, I don't think I'm really going to post on it. I think I was just doing it because I wanted to see all the stuff that's going down right now about Joss Whedon. And I don't know, I might delete it tomorrow, but I guess you guys can reach out to me on Twitter and I might actually see it. So I'm just under Mixtress Ray on there. I also have my Instagram. It's also under Mixtress Ray. Um, so I haven't even though I've been threatening to get off all social media, I haven't actually done it. So you can reach out to me in either of those places. If you don't want to send an email, um, let's talk, let's talk about things. I want to know, I want to know your reactions to my ridiculous shit that I talk about. Um, I love having conversations about Buffy and about psychological crap and all this stuff. Um, and especially I'd love to hear everyone's thoughts about Spike and Buffy, especially because we're about to go down that rabbit hole pretty hardcore in the next year and a half or so. And I'd love to hear um, everyone's thoughts on it, everyone's experiences with abusive boyfriends. Um, yeah, let's talk about it. Let's heal, shall we? I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. And I will see you next week. We're going to talk about... I was made to love you next week. I suspect that will also be heavy talking about a robot created to love you. Like basically we're in it guys, because two weeks from today, we're going to be talking about the body. Two weeks from today, Joyce will be gone. So it's going to be heavy for a little bit, but we'll be here together. Thank you for listening. Bye.